Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Good to be here. Always fun to be in the desert, even when it's frigid. But I came in, actually, I talked to my dad months ago, and I was like, Dad, if there's any chance, I really, really want to see the Warriors play basketball this season before the end of the year and the team is disbanded. I just feel like somewhere in my soul, like Kevin Durant is leaving, and so this might be the end of an era, and like the best basketball team ever assembled in the NBA. And, and like, if there's any way, because I know that you know some people in Phoenix, if there's any way that we can get tickets to a Suns game. So that was months ago. Dad came through. I flew in for the game. And then it just kind of worked out that I got to be here and, and share with you. So I'm excited to be here. And what I want to talk about this morning is this idea that perhaps, perhaps having sight is more important than being right. That maybe having sight is more important than being right. And I'm not talking about whether or not your eyes work. I had uh, glasses or contacts since I was um, like 15 years old. And then someone helped me, like got me a deal, a discount, a friend deal, uh, to get LASIK done a few years back from Dr. Toomey in Newport Beach, the same guy who did Tiger Woods' eyes, so I felt like I was in good hands. I'm like, I'll go for it. I'll lay there and do the weird thing with my eyes. And it was a game changer. Now I have like 2015 vision. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a different kind of vision. What if, what if it's more important to have sight than to be right? We're gonna jump into that, but first, let me give you a perspective through the eyes of a child. Can you throw the picture up of my kids on the screen? There they are in all of their splendor. Jack just turned six. He is a stud. He's losing teeth left and right. Edie in the middle, she is one and a half and just the joy, the light of our life and our home. Henry is about to turn four and that kid is a good time like his mom. He just brings the joy and brings the giggles. Henry when not too long ago, just like a couple of months ago, we were, uh, we were driving. We were up in Washington State, actually, and we were driving with Hillary's brother, and he's in this big truck, and we're going to his house, and it's mountain roads, and Henry says, Daddy, he's in the back in the car seat thing, Daddy, I have to go potty. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, Aaron, that's, uh, that's Hillary's brother's name also, and my brother. Aaron, you know, I, sorry, dude, would you mind? He doesn't have kids, so he doesn't know the whole, like, parenting thing. I'm like, this is a total pain. I'm sorry. Would you mind pulling into a gas station so Henry can go potty? We're still like an hour away from your house. So he's like, yeah, no problem. He pulls into the gas station. I walk Henry in. The gas station attendant, she's like, hi, how, how are you? You know, and I'm like, we just really need to go to the restroom. And she kind of pauses for a second. Yeah, you know, it's for customers only. I'm, I'll buy some chips, you know. And so she gives me the key. And I'm like, thank you. Take my three-year-old to the restroom. So we go back down the hallway to the back. As we're walking down, down the hall to the back to this restroom in the deep recesses of a dirty, uh, you know, 
gas station, you know the, 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 the kind. We're in the mountains of Washington, in the middle of nowhere. We're in one of those kind of gas stations. You walk into the darkness, but, but the, at the back, right before you turn left to get to the restroom, you see against the wall, it's like you're approaching it, a life-size cardboard cutout of an attractive beer model. And there she is in all of her, you know, high-def, airbrushed splendor, and Henry is leading the way, and he's walking down this hallway. Bathroom's on the left. I'm like, Henry, bathroom's on the left. He's trying to distract them a little bit from the scene that's in front of them. Bathroom's on the left, Henry. He walks up. He looks at the cardboard model, pauses for a second, and goes, I love her. And then, <laughs> and then walks straight into the bathroom. Three years old, like it's nothing. I love her. Into the restroom. The beauty of children, no pretense, no pause, no hesitation. You know what I did? I looked at it, I go, yeah, she is kind of attractive, uh, probably airbrushed, and, you know, and, and the beer, is, is, this a, is, this a, is this life-size? I'm wondering, and everybody see me? Was I borderline into lust? I, right? All the filters through which we adults see, but the childlike sight is, I love her, and then I go on with my life. She's, she's attractive, that's cool. God, thanks for that. Okay, and that is. But we, we have filters. We have concerns. We go down different roads. We take something that's simple and innocent and whatever it is and make it something else. I want to take you to a passage in the Gospels that talk about Jesus. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what we call those. They're basically biographies from different points of view of Jesus' three years of active ministry when he was walking around the dirt of this earth. John chapter 9. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man, this blind guy, or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We always want to find out whose fault it is, don't we? I mean, isn't that just the human instinct? Who's responsible for this? Who screwed this up? Especially in that, when we do it today, especially in that culture, they literally believed it was, it was, kind of understood among the Jewish people, among that tribe, it was understood that if you had some kind of disease or sickness or deformity or handicap, that it was associated with sin. They had linked those things to one another because they were trying to justify and figure out, how come my legs work and his don't? I'm not comfortable with that, so I'm just going to chalk it up to he did something bad. And then the God in the sky punished them and zapped them and made it, right? If you look at porn too much, you're going to go blind. He went blind. He must have done something bad. Really? Really? Or are there maybe just consequences built in to the fabric of how God designed this universe? If you look at porn, you're not going to go blind but you're going to develop an unhealthy relationship with sex. You're not going to value the, the, the wife or the spouse that you're with. 
You're going to have natural struggles that, that, for, that come out of that. I mean, that, that, those are the built-in consequences that God hardwired into this universe. But as humans, we're always looking for extra stuff, extra stuff that we can put the blame on. Oh, that probably happened because we don't need extra consequences. Consequences are built in to every choice and decision and action that we make and that we take. But throughout all of time, humans want to put someone at fault, want to justify, and so they're quick to ask, is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? It must be someone's fault. This poor sucker is blind. His eyes don't work. Jesus is crystal clear, neither, neither. He doesn't say why he's blind in terms of the natural effect. Maybe, maybe there was something weird in the water stream. Maybe his mom fell on stairs when he was in the womb. Maybe, there's probably some practical reason to. And Jesus doesn't address that. He doesn't address the natural consequence of something that happened when the kid was young or when the kid was in the womb. He just says, I'm going to do something miraculous out of this terrible situation. How about that? How about you don't worry about whose fault it is and you pay attention for the beauty that can come out of this? How about you don't obsess with who's more broken, him or his parents, and instead you look for the beauty? How about, how about you don't worry so much about the mess and you pay attention because you might just see a miracle? How about that, guys? Jump to verse 6. After saying this, he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went away and washed and came home seeing. Now you have to, Im you have to imagine this moment because this dude, as blind people did in that day, they sat on the side of the road begging. They couldn't, they didn't have jobs. They couldn't do jobs. They were just relegated to the, to the fringe of society and culture. And some people would come by and they'd throw some change at him. But that's, that's what he did day after day. He sat there and begged. And so people had seen him, at least out of the peripheral. They know that's the guy who sits there at that particular spot and begs every day. But they hadn't spent much time. They hadn't really paid attention. But Jesus goes up and pays attention. And people are like, oh, okay, well, I mean, Jesus has done this kind of thing a little bit. We'll see how this plays out. But then Jesus spits on the ground, which is a little bit gross. But it's not gross enough yet in your brain. There has to be a great deal of saliva to make enough mud to cover two eyes. This is throat-clearing, nasal passage-clearing, loogie-hawking. I realize some of you are grossed out, but don't let the person check out next to you because that's the scripture. That's Jesus. That's what went down. It was a lot of spit to make the mud to cover two eyes. And the dude's blind, but he's not deaf. <laughs> he hears it coming up and coming out. And he hears it being around in Jesus' hands, and then he feels it on his face. And you know the people standing around are side-eyeing each other like, did he just, did Jesus, that's cold, man. This dude doesn't, he already can't see. And then you put spit mud on his face. He doesn't even know how many people are standing around pointing and smirking 
right now at the spit mud on his face. It was a gross situation. Why did Jesus do the mud trick? I, at growing up, I, you know, I've been hearing people talk about Jesus my whole life from growing up. I've heard them say funny things about spit mud, and I have, I have never, but here's what I think. Here's why I think Jesus put mud on the man's face. I don't think the man would have gone to the pool without it. I think the man, if Jesus would have just told him, jump up, there's this pool over there called Siloam. Uh, it means sent. I'm sending you to it. If you just go to the pool and wash off, you'll have your sight. I think he would have gone and walked, found his way, got to the crossroads, left to the pool, right to go back home. I think he would have gone right. I think he would have gone back home. Because we as humans persist with what we know. Maybe we're afraid of change, but for sure, we persist with what we know. We prefer the devil we know than the angel we don't. At least we can deal with this. At least I know this. I mean, this is how I'm known in the community anyway. I've never had a job. I've never had a girlfriend. I don't even know what anyone looks like. How would I fit into society now at this point? I'm an adult. I can't start over. I can't figure this out. I can't go back to school now. They don't have adult night classes. This is, this is, this is it. And so we settle for our limitations. We'll settle even for our own limitations because it's what we know. It's where we're comfortable. And we know it's not great. We know there's probably something better. Maybe we could go further. Maybe God wants to fix this thing. Maybe he wants to set us free. Maybe we can get past this addiction. Maybe we can get past this tendency. Maybe we can have a more manageable work life. Maybe we can do, operate differently in our relationships. Maybe we can have a fresh start in some way, but we're reluctant to do it. We're reluctant to go down that road. We're reluctant to pursue change because this is the life that we know. And oftentimes, we just settle for it. Uh, you know, maybe Jesus has something. I don't know. I mean, what's a pool anyway? Like, what's that going to do? He's God. He could have he just snapped his fingers. Why do I have to walk some long path? But when he puts mud on your face... <laughs> <laughs> then you got to do something. Because <laughs> he's like, ah, well, I mean, crap. I'm going to have to wash this off one way or another. Like a lot of people have seen me with mud on my face. I have to clean this off. I might as well walk the path and go to the pool and see what happens. Sometimes, God allows embarrassment in your life to force you to walk the path to the pool. And we get mad and we think, why, why me, why this? Why would you do this? Because you wouldn't have gone otherwise. Because you wouldn't have done it. Because you wouldn't have pursued it. Because you wouldn't have leaned in. Because you wouldn't have asked for help. 
If, if I didn't let you go through that messy thing and have mud on your face, you would have just turned right instead of left and gone home and persisted with what you know, with business as usual. So I put the mud on your face, not because I'm a, I'm a torturous God, not because I'm a mad God, not because I'm making fun of you, not because I'm trying to curse you. I'm trying to heal you, and I know you. And you wouldn't have gone to the pool without the mud, without the spit mud on your eyes. That's why. Embrace the mud. Embrace the embarrassment. Who cares if they're pointing and smirking? You're about to see. If you'll walk this path, you're, you're about to see like you've never seen before. So the people, he comes back seeing, and, and the people are amazed. But get this, they, they don't recognize him. <laughs> He doesn't look different except his eyes work. But they don't recognize him. What does that mean? They haven't paid attention to him. You know why? Because they put him in a category. He was a blind guy. He was a beggar. Or maybe... sinner. When you put people in the categories, you don't really have to pay attention to them. You don't really have to see them for who they are. It's cleaner this way. It's easier. It's black and white. It's just, it just it's, life, it's just, it's just simpler, right? I just put them into a category. Are you really, like, what are you talking about? I'm wearing the exact same clothes. I haven't cut my hair. It's just that my eyes open and work, and you don't recognize me? Because they, they don't really see. They see their categories. They don't actually see spiritually yet. They don't actually see human beings and people. But there's such a stir, there's such a buzz that the news, eventually the ripples, reach the religious leaders of the Jewish community. And in verse 13, it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath day. Sabbath is the day it's set aside. Back then it was a Saturday where you don't work. You don't do anything. You just, you just kind of reflect and you kind of keep the focus on God. And that was, it had started by God saying, hey, I want you to rest and pay attention and remember that I'm God. And then it had become this elaborate religious scheme trying to keep people in control. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. <laughs> but others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. The religious leaders, the, the religious establishment of the day had the most entrenched categories. How could this man be a good man, be a man from God? He doesn't keep the Sabbath. You're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath. What? What? What are you even talking about? Jesus, he didn't even lift a finger except to put mud on. I mean, it, but they were so committed to their categories. This can't, this can't be from God. It doesn't fit in my box. 
This can't be legit. You didn't say the magic prayer words. I'm not listening to her. Have you seen her Instagram? He can't be a he can't be a leader. He can't be a good person. He's not really following Jesus. I pulled up next to him and saw him vaping in his car. We love our categories. We always have. The thing is, Jesus offends every stinking category that we come up with. And he always has. And the people that were so committed to their categories were really offended by Jesus. They were uncomfortable all the time, like a few of us are right now. Just uncomfortable. Jesus, what are you, what are you, you must be a sinner, Jesus. How could you do this on the Sabbath day? Verse 17, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. I think, I mean, something that's kind of a big deal. Verse 18, still they did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Why? Because we see things not as they are, but as we are. We see things not as they are, but as we are. We have filters based on our family of origin. We have perspectives based on our past pain. We have lenses based on our life experience. Take me and my wife Hillary for example. Uh, not too long ago, Jack, whenever Jack gets sick, he gets his fever, he gets a fever and just spikes. Jack particularly, just out of control fevers. It'll be like 105 all of a sudden. And then he'll be fine all day. I don't know if you've experienced this, those of you that have kids. But then all day he's like playing and normal. And then like 7 p.m. it's like 105 fever. What, what's even happening here? So he's, he's just peaked. He's so hot and he's sweating. He can't sleep. And he's like, uh, I don't feel good. Dad. You're like trying everything to make him feel better. But you know it's just a flu because Henry had a flu a few days before. You know it's just a flu. And so I am the guy, my perspective is, he's going to be okay. We're going to put him in a cold bath. We're going to put the cold thing on him. We're going to give him Motrin. And I know it's hot, but he's going to break it, and he's going to be fine. Hillary is panicking. She's like, 105. 105. And he does it again. And like the, the, the thing, when I do this, this is the thermometer. I don't know if you guys have those. It's like the one that you wipe on the, on the forehead. It's like, 105.3. Take him to the emergency room. Now, I'm like, no, 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 he's, he's okay. Every time he gets sick, his fever spikes. This is what happens. Henry was just sick. Now Jack has that sickness. This, this is normal. It's what, we, it's what we expect. We've done this thing before. And she's like, no, 105 means take him to the emergency room. I, some of you, 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 you know what side of this argument that you fall on, right? So this is ours. And so obviously, I ended up taking him to the emergency room and... <laughs> Um, we get there, and yeah, he's hot. He had already dropped down to like 103 or 104 at the time. But like I thought, they just gave him a double dose of Motrin, and they sent us home, and, and he was fine. But that is the deal. We see all situations, all circumstances, and people through our own filters, through our own past experience. And my bias is this way. You know, he'll, he'll be fine. He's okay. He's going to be. And her bias is this way. And one is not wrong, and one is not better necessarily. It's just different. We are seeing through the filters 
of our whole life experience. So these religious leaders who just can't see, they're not willing to see that Jesus might be a good man or that this is the man that was healed, they send for the parents. They bring his, bring his parents here. And his parents come and they talk to him and they say, look, he's a grown man. You ask him for yourself. No doubt the religious leaders were trying to intimidate the parents, trying to get them to fall in line and, and, and try to say, yeah, you're, you're, you guys are probably right. This Jesus, he's, he, he's not a good person. They're trying to intimidate them because they had all the power in the town. They had the authority. They could kick him out of the synagogue. Who knows what they could do to the parents. But the parents were like, look, we don't want any part of this. He's a grown man. Like, we raised him. Yeah, he was blind, but we don't, we don't know about the Jesus thing. You ask you ask him for crying out loud. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. And then look at this. We know this man is a sinner. Do you see the progression from asking and inquiring to not really being so sure to now we know that this Jesus is a sinner. They get further and further entrenched in what they already believe. They get further and further committed to what they want to be true instead of seeing and listening. It's almost like people who watch one news station only and think that anyone who watches another news station is obviously a sinner and wrong. Because this is the right news station, clearly, and everything over here is spin, causing humanity to spiral into eternal destruction. And the people over here think that about the people over here, and the people over here think that about the people over here. And it doesn't matter what news is coming at you, it's just entrenching you further into how you already see. That's what's happening to the Pharisees. It's, it doesn't matter what is said. They believe and are committed that Jesus is a sinner. They're threatened. They're fearful of losing power, losing control, stuff that, you know, we can't relate to. Verse 25, he replied, whether, this is the, this is the man who had just been blind like a little bit ago, and now he can see. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. Well, then here's the kicker. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. One thing I do know. Like, I don't know how to argue with you about the, the you know, your framework and your past and it's probably going to be a long process. You're going to probably have to walk a long path of unlearning a lot of this. I, and I can't do that for you. I'm not going to argue you into that. I don't, I don't get it. I'm not smart enough. I haven't even been to school because I just started seeing like a little bit ago. But, but one thing I do know, he changed my life. One thing I do know, I was like this and now I'm like this. One thing I do know, I was blind, and Jesus made me see. Here's another way of saying it. Here's my one thing. This has been my experience with Jesus. 
Like, I may not know how to convince you of all the arguments, but I just, I just know that Jesus has changed my life. I, I may not know why all the scientific proof of the things that I, I feel somewhere in here convicted about and I believe, and I'm not, I'm not even going to try to convince you, but let me just tell you this. My life was this way, and then I encountered Jesus, and my life is different and better. Somehow my soul has come alive. I had shame here, and I don't anymore. Or when, when I feel shame again, I know how to reject it and get rid of it because I met Jesus. He showed me radical grace and compassion. I, that, that, that's what I can tell you. Like a prophet, sinner, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's above my pay grade. But I can tell you he changed my life. You call him what you want, but this is my experience. You can disagree, but you can't disregard because this is my journey. This is my story. You can disagree, but you can't disregard. That's your journey. That's her journey. That's his journey. So listen to the story. See the person. Hear the experience. Because their stance was born out of their story and their position emerged from their pain. So instead of blind, beggar, what else do we want to say? I don't know. Lazy, needy, liberal, conservative, saint, sinner, Instead of the categories, what if, what if, what if we were people that didn't draw categories, we just drew crosses? And what if we said, I don't know, I mean, I have some, I have some, some feelings about that, but, 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 but here's, here's the one thing I know. Jesus changed my life. And I'm pretty sure that he would change yours if you just embraced his radical compassion and grace. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know what your path towards seeing is going to look like, but here's what mine looked like. I, I don't know if he's going to put mud on your face or, or how your story is going to go, but, but this was my journey. I, personally, I have the seminary education. I know a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, this is my journey with Jesus, and that's what matters most. That's the main thing. What if, instead of being people who were obsessed with categories, we were people who drew crosses? What if you, instead of letting people put you in a category, you understood that the radical grace and mercy of God was for you? And even though you might have mud on your face right now, you walk the path, and you'll come home seeing. And the people that point and snicker, it's, it's okay. They just haven't walked the path yet. They're the same type of person that called Jesus a sinner. Have compassion for them too. Pray that they'll have a path to walk. Maybe it's going to take a little mud on their face. Who knows? But you... You just walk your path, 
and invite God to help you see. I was sent, and I came back seen. I went through a valley, and on the other side, I could see more clearly. I've gone through pain and tragedy, but it led me to see, beyond just what my eyes see, another kind of seeing in a spiritual realm. He sent me through the pain. He sent me through the doubt. He sent me through the crisis. And on the other side, I can tell you there is more seeing. Are you going through something? Do you feel like you've got mud on your face? There's hope. There's a seeing on the other side. There's a seeing that it's about crosses, not categories. And that is also true for you. Grace and mercy, radical forgiveness and love. Childlike sight. Childlike sight is to be able to have confidence and still not be closed. Have confidence in your experience and what you know, what you believe, and still don't be closed. Because here's what Jesus said later when he meets up with the guy. He says, he meets up with the guy, and then there's people around, more Pharisees. And Jesus says to these religious leaders, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. When you're sure that you're right, you're blind. But when you're open to having another level of seeing, God says, I'll give it to you. I'll show you. Because in this life, we hear in part, we see in part. We see through a glass dimly. We don't know everything. It's not 100%. And so with humility, we say, I don't, but here's the one thing. My life was changed. This Jesus is legit. Here's what he's done in my life. Let me just point you to him. Let's not pay attention to these categories. Maybe we'll have those conversations later once we see through the filter of a cross. Let's choose sight over being right. It just might change everything. God, we are grateful for the mercy and grace and compassion that you extend to us that you don't see us through a lens of a category, as a sinner or as a blind person or as a beggar or as a dirty person or as an adulterer or as a thief or as a corrupt business person or as a single parent. You don't see us through categories. You see us as your children. And you invite us to follow you and walk with you on a new path, a path that will lead toward more seeing. We thank you for your radical grace and mercy. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, 
please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.